when you're younger, you're right. You, you, you try to act like, I don't care what anybody thinks. I absolutely cared what everybody thought, you know? Yeah. And I mean, it makes the assumption that some of my friends, I didn't know back then, you know, when they were like 23 or four, I think they did, probably did too. And now that, you know, they have their lives, they have their careers, they have their families. You know, you're right. Like all of the care of what other people thinks, uh, what they think, it kind of goes out the window. And the funny byproduct of that is like, they're all glowing up, man. They're right, doing fantastic. Right. They look great. They're like, skin's fantastic. Yeah, I was like, hey, you're more handsome than ever, man. Like, <laughs> Welcome to the Road Less Babbled, man. Hey, I'm happy to be here, man. Thanks for uh, reaching out. I appreciate anybody who's uh, doing cool things in our life. So, all right. So I know what the story is. I know who you are, but folks listening may not. So Pat, what's the, uh, what's the 10,000 foot view? Yeah. So, um, got here today, uh, cause I started a, a staffing business, but, uh, back up maybe 10 or 15. So years, uh, been in sales in some form or fashion, um, uh, all of my professional life, even a, a little bit of college life, I guess. And, um, been in IT staffing specifically over the last seven years and um, worked for a big agency for a long time. Had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, during the pandemic, just kind of started to, to think through my career and, and kind of what was next and um, actually took some time, worked some contracts. It was like a working sabbatical, I guess. Uh, and uh, kind of pieced together what the next plan was. And um yeah, I guess I got lucky. Everybody always says, you know, I should start a business, right? And um, I, I was lucky enough where I was in a place that I could. You know, I had an industry right. I was good at uh, with a low barrier to entry, something I really enjoyed, something I was excited about. And uh, so decided to launch Harmony Solutions and uh, even got to connect with you a few months ago to talk jobs. And uh, so hopefully there was enough value in that conversation that uh, that brought us here. Yeah, no. Well, and you know, obviously there's value in that conversation, but you and I have known each other for 10 years at this point, maybe even a little longer, if you can believe that. I'm uncomfortable with the time frame, <laughs> uh, but I think so. I was like, you know, let's see, is... I was there. I joined our financial services firm in what, like 2010. You were there probably. I was 2011, 12, end of 11. 11. Yeah. Like the very end, like November of 11. So hey, you made it four years longer than I did. You were doing something right. <laughs> all the all the PTSD and trauma from uh from uh living in living in the 1970s. You know? <laughs> pressure, <laughs> so, make, pressure makes diamonds. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so so Pat and I used to work together. We uh we used to have many a beer in Milwaukee at at one point. Um it, it's it's an interesting story because obviously I just switched jobs, which people actually may not know that listening, but there you go. Follow me on LinkedIn. Um, and, and the process of, you know, just, it just c continued it throughout my career trajectory. I've never gotten a job where I filled out an application and I've never gotten a job where I don't know somebody already. And it's, it's interesting because a lot of times folks will say like, well, utilize your network or, um, you know, who do you know, or all these different things. And to me, that makes complete sense because that's just kind of the world that I live in. But the most right. people are like, what do you mean? Like, what the hell do you mean? You lose your network. Like, you gotta, you gotta be more specific. Yeah. The, uh, the job search is like, uh, it's specifically tailored for sales professionals, right? Cause yes. it makes the most sense. You know, it is in itself a sale, right? You know, but, um, you know, so going in and just, using your network as a, it's a natural feeling. Right. And then, you know, for me, I worked with a lot of, you know, technical folks, right. And mm -hmm. they automate everything in their life. And, right. um, and, you know, LinkedIn indeed and monster have made it so easy to apply to jobs. There's literally one click buttons now. Right. And, um, so it's really hard to separate yourself if that's the only way you know how to do it. And so, so I do think that's some of the value that you can find, you know, massaging your network, working with recruiters is um, you get somebody to kind of tell your story. There's no story on a one click application. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was looking at the job that I got. I actually went to the posting on LinkedIn, and I think this is just a tech thing. I mean, you know more about this than I do, but in like 
48 hours. There was like 450 applicants or something. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like just this and they give you the number too. They tell right. you like, you're competing with this many people. It's jarring. Right. So if I had filled out an application, there's, I have zero doubt. There's no chance I would have even gotten an opportunity. Well, and I'd be interested. I, I mean, I don't know if you know, kind of bullet point for bullet point, but you know, I mean, you go through the description. I mean, I doubt you checked every box, right? You know, the, right. you know, so when you're applying to it directly, somebody is comparing your resume to the bullet points right. on the job description before they even send it to the, to the hiring manager. And right. so it's so hard to get through that first wall there just through broadly applying, right? There's 400 resumes in there. I mean, imagine you're the recruiter and you're, clicking through and you see that you have to go through 400 resumes. How quick do you check out? Right. Right. Well, my sister's, my sister's a recruiter for corporate home Depot. So yeah. she tells me all the time, cause apparently I didn't know this, but apparently working for cor- corporate home Depot is actually a bomb job. Like a lot okay. of people want it. It's very popular. Um, she has people like for the first time in her life, she was at staffing agencies for the first time in her life. She has people like blowing up her LinkedIn being like, please, can I interview? <laughs> well, that's like, you know, it's one of those companies like uh, like dollar general. Like here right. in town, like you, it's it's not like a like a sexy brand, right? Right. They got like this stunning headquarters, and there's like a wait list for their daycare. Right. Right. So like, <laughs> so she was talking about how you know people are blowing up her LinkedIn, blowing up her email. She's like, "How yep. did you even find my email? How did you get my cell phone? Why are you calling me?" Um, so she's like, for the fir- <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's like, for the first time in my life, like I'm not even like recruiting. I'm just like, okay, cool. Well, let's see if I like you or not. And she was like. If if I if there's 30 applications for a job, like good luck. <laughs> not, right. That's already too many. Yeah, it's just a it's an overwhelming process, right? You know, I think it, you just kind of need somebody to help you navigate it sometimes. I haven't done that many job searches in my life. I mean, hell, I'm a recruiter. I didn't like the last one. I got so fed up with it I started my own company. Mm. That's interesting. So, okay, so talk to me about that. Like part of Part of you starting a company doesn't shock me at all because that's just kind of your nature, the entrepreneurial spirit, but that's because I know you. Um, yeah. But talk to me about that process and talk to me about maybe some of the fears and, and just general anxiety around taking that step. Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, in any job search that I've done, you know, I kind of was like, what are the what are the few things that I definitely need, you know, out of my next role? And, um, you know, I mean, I, like my first job was a sales internship that rolled into a, a five and a half year career. So I had never even had to do that process for myself. Right. Um, you know, coming out of college and, you know, so, you know, when I left that, you know, and I was in financial services, I wanted to, I, I wanted to switch industries. I was just a little cooked on that. And, you know, so I thought to myself the first time around, I was like, well, what do I want to do? I was like, I still want a high ceiling. Uh, so for me, that was sales. Um, and, you know, I'm comfortable with a low floor. And so that was checkbox number one. Number two was, you know, I wanted to um, be people facing, you know, so obviously in sales, you're going to have to be regardless, but uh, you know, obviously I, I I love talking to people. I think it's fun. I think everybody's fascinating. And, uh, and the third thing is I wanted something impactful and, um, you know, at surface level, you can just be like staffing, oh, not, you know, impactful, but, um, you know, you get to shape the local companies, you know, around you. If you five foot five or six, you know, people on a team at a company in Nashville, like I, I think I've shaped a little bit of the culture there. I think that's right, kind of fun. Right. Um, and you know, I'm, you know, Every time you get a somebody a twenty thirty thousand dollar raise, you can definitely feel the impact. You can hear it in their voice, and you know. So all that to say, those those boxes were all checked for me, um, for staffing, and mm-hmm. uh, you know. So then the le- next time around, um, the boxes were kind of the same. You know, I, I wanted those three things again, and uh, high ceiling, low floor, um, people facing impact. You know, and. Um, there's lots of great agencies to, to do it with, you know, in Nashville, remotely across the country now. I mean, obviously that's all changed. You can, I could work for a staffing agency in Tulsa if I wanted to at this point. Um, you know, but I, I thought I could magnify the results of all of those by absorbing the risk of taking on a, a, you know, 
running it myself, putting my own uh, brand behind it, um, my own you know, methodologies, um, how I treat people, you know, how, if I hired people, how would I want them to treat the people they work with? Um, and, and honestly, the biggest thing was, I, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but, um, sales can kind of make you dumb. It's just, a like, I know most of the sales people I've met are idiots. I, yeah. I know a lot of idiots that make a lot of money, right, right. <laughs> and, a lot of money. A lot of money. And I'm like, but y'all are so stupid. And I just thought, I was like, you know, it's, you know, as much as I loved, you know, working in a large agency, like it was, it was rinse, wash, repeat. Right. And, you know, get a job order, fill a job order, you know, do it again and again and again. Um, you know, and, and as you've seen in sales organizations, there's not necessarily a ton of like upward mobility, right? Like you don't get new job opportunities often. And even if you go into management, sometimes they pay less. Right. Which is an industry problem. But um, the thing that I wanted to do is start getting smarter again. And um, that was opening the business, you know, was learning, you know, all of the simple things right now. Now it seems simple. File an LLC, you know, to get your right. IN, you know, get a team around you, working with my attorney to develop my my customer contracts. Like all of those things is just new new ways to use my brain I'd never done before. You know, I didn't go get an MBA. Um, school's out. Right. I'm done with that. <laughs> and right. so, uh, so this is it. And um, I mean, I think those that was the the biggest thing was like I could I could finally feel my brain turning again. And, mm. and not that it's the only way to do it, but it was the way to do it for me. And um, you know, so so it all happened. I mean, I don't know. It was a, you know, you asked about fears on the fear side. I. I I don't know. I, ignorance is bliss. I didn't have that many, uh, you know, up front, right? I think um, I started a business in an industry that I was already in, you know. So after enough time had passed to, you know, satisfy my legal requirements for, you know, staying away from people in my network, you know, I had kind of a built-in community. You know, it, right. it all lined up very well, um, and I had some very strong advocates for my services early on, and. You know, so I, I think the fears have more so come lately, right? You know, it's like we launched it, it's running, um, even going public with my website. Like now that people know that I've started something, now they know I can fail at it. Right. And um, so I think the first six months, I mean, it was almost easy, right? You know, when, you, when you're self-employed, the commissions are bigger, yeah, you you've eliminated the middleman. Is basically I, I, there's right. no middleman, right? right? And so you know you pop 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 early on, everything's great. I'm living in a fantasy world, you know, and but, you know, shit just slows down, and you know that's when self doubt creeps in. You know, like oh, you got lucky up front, you had one or two clients, but you know, honestly, if you have one or two clients, you're not self employed. You work for them, right? You know, so um, you know now how can I go hunt and kill again? And, you know, so, um, and it, that fear used to be paralyzing. Um, mm. it definitely in my first career, the one we shared together, I mean, I think that financial services world is some of the most paralyzing sales on the planet. Um, but well, now I've got, some, it, I've got some thoughts on that so we can, we can circle back. But, I'd love to circle yeah. back to that. Yeah. I, um, but you know, it's now that that fear is checked and kind of turned into fuel, you know, it's, right. um, you know, I mean, when you're a 15 year veteran of the sales career, even if you've been just okay at it, you've built up enough scar tissue where the cold calls and the insults and that don't really hurt anymore. Right. Right. Like, you know, so uh, I'll check my bank account. How about that? Yes, right. <laughs> like, you can call me whatever you want as long as I got the hands. <laughs> yeah, I'm just you know you get to a point where you're like there's really just nothing that you could say that much that could hurt my feelings. I don't think. And uh, so yeah, no, I mean I'm honestly, man, it's I've been incredibly lucky. Like everybody has such a canned thing to say. Like I've been blessed, right? Yeah, yeah, especially um, in the south. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, blessed, man. Live, live, laugh, love. But it's just, man, it's been it, it, the maybe the last few months. I think has been the most challenging, just because you know you start to add uh, fixed expenses. I mean, hell, my salary is a fixed expense for myself. You know, I mm -hmm. pay myself every couple of weeks, and it was like, you know, 
you know, so you watch the business grow and then you start to think 12 months out, 18 months out, like I could for sure do this effectively by Mm -hmm. myself for the next 20 years and I can make a lot of money. But like, if I want to grow it, you got to run it differently. Right. You got to have a business, not a job. Right. Right now I'm just a contractor, right? (laughs) Just an independent contractor. If I want a company, you know, you got to manage it differently. You got to grow it differently. You got to be more fiscally conservative, um, you know, and that changes your lifestyle. Right. And, you know, so I think just adding all that in with just the like, Hey, there's literally, you know, I talk about a high ceiling. There's never been a lower floor. <laughs> it's literally zero. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think early on it was, like I said, it was just bliss. And, you know, now it's like, okay, this shit's real. Right. That's so interesting. <laughs> I was, I actually had this experience uh, the other day. So I was meeting with one of my friends who's in private equity and we were just kind of chatting and I was showing him the software that I'm selling, the actual mobile app. Yeah. Like the end stage product and he was like dude that is awesome like he was genuinely excited about it and he was like how can i help i was like well i'll send you a list of folks you know on linkedin that you can introduce me to he was like yeah let's go and it was interesting to me because i've had probably thousands of people refer me in their in my career you know what i mean especially in and it's so nice the best compliment it, it really is but this is the first time in my career over a decade in, this is the first time in my career that they're not just referring me as a person. Because every other time it's been me yeah. that they're referring. They're refer- so I can get a referral on me, but also the end product that I'm selling. Right. So for me, kind of going back to that original, the, paral- the paralyzing aspect of financial services, that creates a lot of paralysis unless you're just willing to turn your brain off. It's the same everywhere. And it's because all these companies were formed in like, the, the 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 structure that they operate under was formed like 50, 60 years ago. Like how different is the world? I have an iPhone for God's sakes. Like <laughs> the world. Sure. Yeah. No, I think that makes sense. I mean, yeah, you know, you look back now, um, you know, and we had all very strict metrics, like sales always has really strict metrics, right? right? And it was, you know, like 30, 40 phone calls a day and, uh, and you're just supposed to eat it. Right. Right. You know? And honestly, I, I, I don't know if I've made a, completely cold phone call in four to five years that's interesting really yeah i mean to your point like we got our iphones like i mean Mm -hmm. we've got linkedin we've got all these messages i was sitting there combing through my twitter figuring out like hey how can i find software engineering managers and just send them a dm Mm. and um you know and at first i think um from coming from a sales model where it was so intensely baked into your brain that you had to cold call mm-hmm. that it felt soft at first. Like, am right. I not doing the hard part? Right. Um, and I don't know what it says about like people at this point that they would prefer that nobody wants to talk to you on the phone anymore. Um, but it does work. It, there's a easy way to do it. Right. You know, and I mean, I would venture to say now if, if we go back and spoke to our, our friends in financial services, they're making less cold calls than ever. I would agree with that. I think it also has to just do with the fact that um, one of the things that when you're not, when you call somebody on the phone in 2022, look, man, people don't even talk to their moms on the phone. <laughs> it, it's yeah. almost, it's almost intrusive at this point. Whereas back in the day, it was just kind of how business was done. Um, the thing that happens when you're, when you're not using a call, when you're using another route, whether it's a DM, whether it's a LinkedIn message, whether it's an email, they have an escape hatch. So they don't feel trapped. Yeah. And it gives you a larger probability of having a non-confrontational conversation. Yeah, I think so. I think um, it may even be a lower percentage shot, but it's it's warmer. So right. like when you when you book a meeting like that, it sticks. Right. You know, if you can if you cajole somebody into a, a conversation, you know, five to seven business days out, you know they're going to find a way out of it. And, but if you allow them to respond on their time and gently follow up as needed, right. You know, and I've been less gentle when time dictates that I had to be, um, you know, but, but it's, I think it's a stickier meeting. Yeah. It's a, it's interesting. So getting into the enterprise space 
over the last several years, the like mid, high mid market enterprise, like you're dealing with businesses. So you're dealing with multiple decision makers. You're, you know, it, it's almost the purpose of the phone call. Cause I still make phone calls, but the purpose oh, has sure. changed. The purpose isn't, let me schedule a meeting with you at all costs. The purpose is, are you even the right person I'm talking to? Right. <laughs> like that's step number one. Am I even barking up the right tree? You know, that's funny. Like now it's, um, you know, when, when you move from a world where, uh, everyone is a potential client to like every company is a potential client, but who the hell's in charge? Right. <laughs> you get like, right. Like who makes this decision? You get You get to start at the you know first manager and you get to the executive director of product solutions and he's not even in charge. Right. Right. And it's, it's, or, or you get to the CFO who you think is in charge and the CFO, CFO is like, yeah, we're kind of weird here. X actually handles that. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, like the one company a, in America. There's that a better doesn't. title than CEO. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what, but when you, when you look at the last 15 years of your sales career, like how have you grown as like a human being in this? Because I think a lot of people dismiss sales as just like where the dumb kids go and play. Uh, right. Kind of earlier, which is not wrong. I mean, I don't, I don't think either one of us would call us the smart, like the no, brightest I, crayon in the box. I even told you sales make you jump dumb. Yeah. And I, I joke now with, with folks that, um, I told him I'm like, I got into sales cause I couldn't find a real job. And, uh, <laughs> I should have tried harder in school. Um, but you do get, um, I think, I, I think through enough personal interact, I mean, if your goal is to meet X amount of people a week, you at least become an expert on humans. And, um, I mean that, yeah, I've got a doctorate in that. And, I always stop and pause when I need to think of something thoughtful here. Um, I have a, I've developed like, how do I approach people? That's, you know, um, like you know, in your day to day, not just in work. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. And you know, right now they all kind of bleed over, uh, which right. is good and bad. Um, right. you know, it's fun when your work relationships become friends. It's fun when your friend relationships become work. Um, sometimes you want to turn it off, but, right. um, you know, I think how I've evolved in sales is, you know, figuring out what matters to me and how do I want to do it, right? And like, it's cliche to say, um, always do the right thing for the people you're speaking to. But I mean, how easy is it to need to make money some month and you let some information that might slow that sale down slip, right? Right, right. You know, and, um, you know, Part of that is, um, you know, kind of leads into to, to the part two for me is is abundance mentality, and so figuring out like, hey, I mean, if every sale matters, you're not talking to enough people, mm. and so you have to take the pressure off of each sale um, because if it, if you need it, that's your problem, and so always remembering that when I talk to people, I think is 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 the biggest thing, um, and and just I think staffing in particular really flexed um how i approach people and sales because no longer is there one static product right like your enterprise tool that you're now selling it can't really change its mind you know right, it's right. um it's the not sentient yeah. it's it's not sentient and um you know so in in a in a staffing uh, sale like a placement you know, there's two entities that can change their mind and um, bringing them both to the table is just a fascinating study. And um, the negotiation behind it to me is just, it's unique and it's challenging. And I think that even more enhances your, your, your people skills. Um, I don't even know if I answered your question no, thoroughly I, I, there, but. I think that's something interesting to marinate on a little bit, the the people skill aspect of it, because Yes, if you're in a sales role, if every sale matters, you're doing it wrong. But let's even talk about the job hunt, like different aspects of life. If every job application or if every interview matters when you're looking for a job, you're doing it wrong. Like yeah. you should you should have an abundance of people that and I hate the I kind of hate the word abundance because it's used by all these like culty gurus as like a as like a buzzword. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean like literally the Webster's definition of like a plethora, okay? Yeah. Of uh, of uh, opportunities that you've created and then it it gives you the opportunity to have what to get what you want. Yeah, I mean, 
it, it, the worst thing that happens is, is you find out what you don't want to do. Yeah. You know, if you interview 10 places, like, yeah, it's exhausting, you know, like in, in, in job searches, that search, it's, it's different, right? Like searching for a job when you need a job versus searching for a job when you have a job. You can't just interview for 10 places when you already have a job. Right. right. Uh, you know, that's, that's too much, you know, but you can do two a week yeah. and you can be very diligent with your time and figure out slowly where you don't want to work. And ultimately somebody, somebody will offer you a job that is better than the one that you have. But if you're only, but if you need a job, your job is finding a job, right? So yeah, right, let's right. pound out as many interviews as we can. Cause one, that takes the anxiety off of you Two, It gives you practice and three, it gives you options. All of those things will relax you. What if, if you went back to 2010, when, when you got into sales, when especially financial services, if what would shock that Pat about this Pat? Um, he's not such a wuss anymore. <laughs> All right, elaborate. <laughs> you know, like everybody wants to think they're like, uh, you know, they're tough, right? You know, it's right. just a phone call, right? Like right. it's easy right. to. You know, even just kind of, you know, pseudo mentor new sales folks, you know, three or four years into the business. And, um, but man, it was still, it was so terrifying. And it's so hard. So, <laughs> it's so hard. Man, it just sucks. And, and, you know, like, you know, I played sports. And I was reasonably, you know, a tough, confident guy. And the phone just is intimidating. And even in emails are intimidating. Pushing people to action is intimidating. Hmm. And, um, I think maybe he'd be a little shocked that it eventually goes away. Right. And it was hard to find out when. Mm. It's, it's so interesting because I had a conversation about this actually yesterday as a guy, you know, you're just like so full of piss and vinegar when you're 21, 22. I mean, you just <laughs> think you're God. That's so awful. Good. Dude, man, my wife says I was such a douchebag, and like I can't even argue with her. She says now I'm just slightly douchey. Um, which that's, she, a, that's better. Yeah, she's very proud of the slightly. Douchey. Imagine the gentleman you'll be in a decade, right? And a scholar. Um, but I mean, that's the kind of people that get recruited into the finance world. Like, what's the stereotype for Wall Street? Like, there's a reason movies like Wolf of Wall Street exist. It's like, it's generally dudes who've had some sort of success in life. Yep. That has like blown their confidence way past it where it should be at that stage of life, um, which fine, there's positives and negatives to that. Um, but I was having this conversation yesterday and it's so funny at my age now, you know, you want to talk about confidence relative to 11 years ago. It's not even in the same ballpark. Like yeah, I wired different now, I think. Yeah. Like I, truly am very comfortable in who I am. You know yep. what I mean? Like in my interactions and like having a kid earlier this year, that changes so many things. Cause like I care even less about what other people think because I have to take my energy to care about her. You know, like there's, sure. there's just so much like maturity is just such an interesting thing. And like, I'm so much nicer to people. I'm so much nicer to myself. I'm so much less abrasive. I'm so, I, I, I'm so much less petty. I don't hold on to crap. Like I just like, okay, cool. Like do your thing, man. Um, that's been interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think I don't have any children at this time. I, I've watched my friends do it and I've, you know, I like, it's funny. You, when you're younger, you're right. You, you, you try to act like I don't care what anybody thinks. I absolutely cared what everybody thought, you know, yeah. and I mean, it makes the assumption that some of my friends, I didn't know back then, you know, when they were like 23 or four, I think they did, probably did too. Um, and now that, you know, they have their lives, they have their careers, they have their families, you know, you're right. Like all of the care of what other people thinks, uh, what they think, it kind of goes out the window. And the funny byproduct of that is like, they're all glowing up, man. They're right, doing fantastic. Right. They look great. They're like, skin's fantastic. Yeah. I was like, hey, you're more handsome than ever, man. Like, <laughs> It's so true. It's, it's just, so true. The, the pressure of outside opinion goes away. You kind of glow up. 
Yeah, I mean your metabolism might be a little slower. You gotta you gotta work a little harder <laughs> well, to maintain a maintain a figure. My but... entire mood for the day is dictated on what I have for breakfast. Man, mine uh mine has kind of gotten to whether or not I get to work out in the morning or if I have to wait until like lunchtime. Um Do you like workouts in the morning better? I think I think I've kind of gotten to that point. So I started um so when I was in the hospital in February, I'm holding my daughter and I looked down at her. So let's just say uh thick boy season was in full swing. I, I, I decided to have a little <laughs> sweater season, baby. Yeah, like I decided <laughs> to have a little sympathy weight add on when my wife was pregnant. Um so, you know, and I've heard so many guys be like, yep, <laughs> yep. Like, cause it just gets hard. Cause there's so many other things happening. Yeah. But I remember I was holding my daughter and I remember vividly thinking, holy shit, I cannot die. Yeah. Like I, I actually cannot die. I have to do everything I possibly can not to die because this kid needs me. Take and, your body, uh, no texting and driving. Like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's all the little things, right? Yeah. All the little <laughs> things, but like. So she was born on a Sunday. We were out of the hospital by, I think, maybe Wednesday or Thursday. Monday, I hit the gym. Uh, heavy, you know, just started a, a lifting routine. Monday, yep. Wednesday, Friday. I haven't missed one since. 33 weeks. So Did, Were you lifting before? N- no, I, have, I wasn't doing it. So, so I was lifting, like, probably 2016, 17, 18, 19-ish. Um, and then I was like, let me go run a half marathon. And then I started training for a half marathon and then COVID hit. So all the half marathons got canceled. So I did run quote unquote a half marathon, but, but, um, it doesn't count. Like it was just me running around Nashville, uh, make myself feel better. (laughs) I feel like I knew a lot of people that did that. Everybody, you got to find a way to get through quarantine and did self self half marathons. Right. Right. So like, um, so I was doing that. Then my wife got pregnant and I just kind of was like, dude, I need to like work and figure out life because there's a human on the way. So I, I wasn't doing anything. And sure. hence why thick boy season was in full swing. Um, so I started off, you want to talk about checking your ego. All right. I'm six foot three, 230 pounds. I'm a big boy. I'm built like Unit. a linebacker. <laughs> What'd you say? Unit. <laughs> yeah. Like, like people see me and they, for better or worse, assume like that dude's probably strong. That's probably a fair assumption if you see, especially like if you just see me at the gym or something. I started that very first workout, nothing but the bar. Because sure. I didn't want to get hurt. And I was following yeah. the, the, the strong lift program. And the first workout was not that bad because people can look at you and be like, one, nobody's looking at you anyway. But people can look at you and be like, oh, he's working on his form. Like that makes total right. sense. However, the second workout, you had five pounds, so two and a half pounds on each side. So my yep. big ass is squatting with two and a half pounds on each <laughs> side of the bar and taking it super seriously, breathing, yeah. form, everything. That's what I felt like an idiot. People think you're like doing a bit. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. So, so um, it took a long time, but my form is exceptional. I have no fear of getting hurt. That's something I was always yeah. afraid of. Like I'm in the 300s now. Um, Hell yeah. So it's... You want to talk about check? There's no way I would have been able to do that at 22. There's zero chance in hell I would have been able to squat at a gym with two and a half pounds on each side. It doesn't that 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 just doesn't exist 10, Man, 11 I, years I, ago. I'm with you. I except for the fact that I don't think I was using good form and I did get hurt. And <laughs> yeah. uh, and I got tennis elbow this year, mm. which I don't know if you ever experienced that. I don't I play have, tennis. It it's awful. And I went to a, I mean I got to a point where I couldn't pick up my coffee. Mm. and um yet alone like go to the gym hold a bar golf you know play hockey you know the things that i enjoy for physical activity and so i went to pt and did all that and then they told me the routine to keep doing you know so i'm like at my gym and i go to the title boxing gym here um so it's like a relatively tough room right right right, and i've got my three pound weight curling it like this And like I've been going for a while, so like the instructors give me a little grief, you know, and we all get a good chuckle out of it because they they know like the everybody's just doing what they need to do, right? Yeah. They don't even they don't even know the story. The music's always loud. We don't even talk to each other that much. We just right. like, high five when we you know pass each other. And so if I get to talk to them, I tell them what's going on, and they gave me some good advice because all the boxing instructors have had it before, right? Because it's mm. just that it's that tendonitis, you know, just leans itself to that sport, but. um but I was just like, I thought it was more funny than anything. Or yeah, like probably a decade ago, I'd taken my three pound dumbbell home, right. did it 
in the dark room. <laughs> right, right. Nobody could see it. <laughs> but that, but that's kind of the transition we're talking about. Is that is that confidence? Like it really does make me wonder. Like ten years from now, because we all know the old dude, the like sixty something or seventy something year old who just does not give a damn. Couldn't care less. <laughs> Could not care less. Couldn't and care part, less. And part of me is like, man, I wish you cared a little bit. But another part of me admires it so much because it's like, wow, you just really like just live on your own planet. <laughs> I I do. I, I I see it from you know from my parents. You know, they could give a shit, man. They will say anything these days. Like they have to be monitored. <laughs> right, right, right. Because I'm like, I'm like, dad, you just, just don't get canceled. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but but there is some like unbridled confidence that i really appreciate yeah well and 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 for the first time in their lives like not just my parents but pretty much all the parents that i see like no matter how much money you're making when you have a family and you've got these responsibilities it doesn't feel like enough right like it just it just i mean you're growing a bit like you might not have kids right now but you're growing a business you're you've got all these other things like nothing feels like enough like i look at my parents now and I'm like, they could not give less of a damn about what they spend on. They're just like, oh, okay, cool. Like, we, uh, we, uh, sh- uh, my daughter was the first grandchild on our on my side of the family, sixth on my wife. So yeah, we milked that like the first grandchild. <laughs> they were like, what kind of stroller you want? And it's like the expensive one, the Tesla, <laughs> the Tesla stroller. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> I want to have an app on my phone for the stroller. Um, and it's it's obviously nice because we're like getting to getting the the benefits of it, but it's also nice to see them not be stressed about something like money, which is is something you know coming in out of an immigrant household that was something that was a stressor. Yeah, and I don't know how they did. You know, my my parents are they don't. I'd say they're pretty comfortable and they buy whatever they need, but they don't live a lavish life whatsoever. You know, they're right, right. They they have they kind of satisfy their basic needs. They hang out together. You know, my mom is retired. Dad's still working. But, um, you know, and they never made that. It's something when you talked about, like, oh, no, it's never enough. You know, this kind of resonated with me because I've tried to figure out what is enough. Mm. You know, I always wanted to make a lot of money. Right. And I started making a little money. Turns out, you know, I, I you know, and I thought I'll be fine when I hit six figures. Right. Then That'd you be great. That's not even that much. That's not that much money. No, and not in Nashville, especially with my lifestyle. <laughs> and so, Mr. you know, I, I, golf is an expensive hobby, man. I, I should have stuck with running. I one hundred percent agree with you on that front. That's yeah. A, that's a nice. <laughs> that's a nice chunk of change I throw out every time I go. Every every Saturday, you know. But I, I look and I'm like, they, you know, my parents they will retire very comfortably. Uh, you know, but they're not like multimillionaires, um, you know, but they're just satisfied, you know, and I'm right. just like, and they have a nice house, but it's not huge. You know, they have nice cars, but they're not like expensive. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, there's like a satisfaction of just like they didn't, I always want more, but they didn't need everything, mm-hmm. you know? And so like, where do I fall on that? Like, how does that, how do I approach ambition with that because i worked myself into a depression last year i was exhausted Mm. you know i started my business while i was working a full-time job or a full-time contract i was on contract and so i'd work my 40 hours a week on my contract i would work from six to eight in the morning over lunch and literally till i'd go to the gym i'd come home make a quick dinner and i'd I'd work like seven to ten thirty eleven and dude, after three months of that, I was tired. I was exhausted. And I wasn't fun to be around. Mm-hmm. And I'm always fun to be around. <laughs> you know, 21-year-old confidence coming out. <laughs> people like me. Um, but I was like, man, I, I, don't know, I don't know if people, if there are people that can comfortably do that all the time. I know I can't. Mm-hmm. And now I have... I, I probably work less hours, you know, but we talked about kind of the risk increasing the dollar value of, of every penny you make. Right. You know, so like, I don't have to work as many hours then, uh, as I did then, you know, but on, but I have to check myself, right. Like your ambition will make you depressed sometimes because nothing is ever enough. That's so interesting because I'm literally reading a book right now, actually former guest of the show, Dr. Ben Hardy. Uh, he, do you remember, uh, have you ever heard of Dan Sullivan as strategic coach? 
yeah. founder of Strategic Coach. Okay, so Dan mm. Sullivan and Ben Hardy wrote a book together. And uh, it's called The uh, the Gap in the Game. And I started it a couple of days ago, and it's super, it's super good. First of all, Dr. Ben is just awesome. I love him. Uh, cool. He was one of my favorite interviews ever. Um, and I, I just like following any of his stuff. So he's a clinical psychologist, and just the way he approaches things is just fascinating. But anyway, so... Dan Sullivan came up with this concept in the early '90s, the gap in the game. So basically, <clears throat> you have a you have you where you are today, you have an end goal, and then you have like let's say your end goal is to make a hundred grand off of you know within the six within the next six months, and you end up making seventy grand. What most highly ambitious people do is they focus on the gap, the seventy to hundred, the thirty thousand sure. dollar gap, yeah. and that is just a perfect recipe for being miserable for the rest of your life. Right. Whereas if you focus on the gain of where you were at yeah. zero to 70 and then what you can do to maybe next time make it 75 and next time make it 80, 85, whatever it may be, that is just a, a significantly more productive mindset for managing your own expectations as a you know highly motivated individual. And it sounds so diabolically simple and I know I'm not giving it enough credit. I probably should reach out to Dr. Ben's team and have him on again because I think the book is awesome. But um, it's such an easy concept, but it's just, it's so good because how many times have I compared myself to the gap instead of the gain of like, am I, am I eight packing around, you know, walking around looking like a uh, Hercules right now? No, but I sure as hell look better and feel better and am stronger than I was in February. Yep. You know, so that's, that's an interesting thought experiment. It is. I mean, you're right. Like it sounds simple. Right. But uh, if it was, it wouldn't take two doctors to like publish a book about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd managing like a, personal expectations is like a challenge for me. You know, I, I, you, I mean, you mentioned fitness and working out. Like I have literally not once ever in my life achieved, I work out, pr you know, pretty hard. I've never once achieved the body I wanted. Yeah. The ideal, but the older, the ideal body, right? Yeah. You know, and most of that shit's genetics. That's what I tell myself. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, but you can muscle it if you need to, you know. But am I happy? Am I satisfied? Do I feel good? Do my pants fit? Like, you know, those are, you know, you kind of reset yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah, my genetics are constantly thinking that I'm like, if I'm working out, I'm like at war with the Turks or something. They're like, oh, those bastards again. Okay. Like, I well, my. <laughs> I like walk past ketchup and I feel like I got heavier. My, my metabolism <laughs> is gone. <laughs> uh, a book that I just read, if you're interested in like better understanding your body, this can be for you. This, this can be for you know anybody listening. I literally just finished it the other day. It's called the obesity code. Okay. Um, by Dr. Jason Fung, I think F U N G. I think is how you pronounce it. Fan fantastic obesity read. code the obesity code okay really 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 good read basically breaks down how our entire society has been lied to because of large sugar corporations like you know kellogg's and general mills who invented the concept of a breakfast in the 30s um oh yeah they they bought the food pyramid yeah the food pyramid is a scam people for the love of god stop preaching the food pyramid it literally was paid for by the sugar industry hey, have you ever seen that the, is uh, not a that is not a secret that is an open fact the uh documentary magic pill i have not it's uh i'll read it'll take less time than reading obesity code so now you have to do this because i'll read this book but um it's i mean it's like a it's a little bit of lobbying for like the ketogenic diet mm. um you know but it 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 deep dives into um like the sh the sugar and the the like the industrial revolution and like the companies make it processed flour that literally bought and paid the american heart association to put grain at the bottom of the food pyramid right and to put you know their little logo on like cheerios and <laughs> and like frosted flakes like how much do we got to pay how much do we got to pay to put to get a heart on the Cheerio box, insane. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, yeah, it's so crazy because so so the obesity code, like most of it, um, he doesn't really advocate a diet. He just kind of breaks down the science, and he only uses one of the things that I really liked about it is he only used studies that were that were done on humans exclusively as his sources. So he was like, I'm not going to talk to you about studies that were done on rats for two days, which is what a lot of these 
you know, companies will, will cite. Yeah. Um, a lot of it has to do with just how our bodies, the majority, the majority of the book is how your hormones and your hormonal makeup dictates how your body stores fat and how your body, uh, is resistant to insulin, creating diabetes, et cetera, obesity, et cetera, and how you can figure out what your hormonal makeup is and how to basically readjust your hormonal makeup to homeostasis. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's getting a read. Yeah. It's super interesting. Um, sorry. I know we, we've gone from, uh, job hunts to, uh, to sales jobs to how to, to the, how to lose the weight. The, uh, my tinfoil hat, uh, food pyramid. There's, not, there's nothing tinfoil <laughs> not about that. About it. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a tinfoil thing. That is an actual fact that is, yeah. that is well cited and well sourced at this point. Cause it was happening in the sixties. That's like saying, that's like saying, uh, Oh, my, my favorite is like, uh, uh, the U S government was planning to blow up U S airliners over Cuba and then blame the Cubans on it. Uh, to go invade the island in the 60s and it got stopped by President Kennedy, but it was signed by the whole joint chief of staff. And it's like, that's a conspiracy theory. It's like, no, that's declassified documents, you asshole. <laughs> like, there's nothing conspiracy about that besides the government conspiring to kill its own citizens as a false flag to attack our country. And one person be like, guys, this is a bad idea. <laughs> I veto. <laughs> I will say I do love a good, I love a good conspiracy theory. Oh man, especially in the last couple of years, we've just had some golden ones. What's what's like one that sticks out to you, dude? The flat Earth theory—I just don't get it. I don't understand. Okay, I understand how I can look out into the horizon and it's flat. <laughs> <laughs> I get that part, but like all the other stuff doesn't make sense to me. Like, okay, so we're like on a flat, flat disc, and like there, the sun is like going in an eight figure like a flashlight or and that's why we have different times of day at different times of day. and i'm like okay hold on bro fine i can buy that but you're asking me to believe this flashlight which is significantly harder to believe than if we're just a ball in space <laughs> like, i uh, i appreciate ahead. independent thought but i i don't know how that one got legs <laughs> I don't either, dude. I, I, because I've yet to hear a good like. Okay, give me a good explanation. Like, give me something to hold on to, on it. And it's like, okay, there's a firmament. All right, what's above the firmament? We don't know. All right, so like, I fully can buy that we never landed on the moon. I can buy that because we don't know how to get back to the moon, buddy. That's the one. Like, we don't know how to get back to the I, moon. Ain't that insane? <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola filmed that thing in a lab. <laughs> I, we, I, let's so, say you don't get invited back. I don't think we went. <laughs> I don't think we well, went. They, well, what did they announce? What did they announce the other day? They, they were like, uh, it's going to take us seven years to get into space, like from 2025 to 2032 or some crazy number. And it's like, it's longer than it took us to get, get a person into space in like the sixties. And it's like, okay, how is this possible? Well, and then so, wait, they walked around for like, a, like 15, 20 minutes. And they're like, yeah, we just, we got this place figured out. Yeah, we're, we're done. done. Yeah, yeah we've seen the whole out. moon. <laughs> okay, <laughs> That's what we can, we can go down. Yeah. We can go down conspiracy theories for days, but like we are coming up on time. So last yeah. question, last question. You go back to eighteen year old you. You know, uh, Patrick McAllister about to go into MTSU, all wide eyed, bushy tailed, excited to see the world, etc. Knowing all that you know about life at this point, and knowing all that you know in general, what's one piece of advice you give yourself to if if you can go back to eighteen year old you? Um. Save more money. Just in general? Yeah, I think, I mean, the two things I always think is I wish I would have saved more early. I wish I would have traveled more. Mm. Which those are kind of counterintuitive. Um, You can can travel on a budget. You can. You can. Um, You know, but, um, you know, we talk about the, um, you know, I talked about like that abundance mentality, whether you're interviewing or working or sales of, of removing the pressure, um, you know, living with inappropriate savings increases that pressure phenomenally. I, like, I felt, I still had pressure on myself when I started making money. The pressure went away when I started saving more. Mm. Interesting. That's a really well thought out nugget there. 
Yeah, the 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 it was a funny um saying that one of our old managers used to use. It was there's no such thing as a revenue problem, just an expense problem. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it's just a funny thing that you hear and you should just forget. <laughs> because you should just hear it and forget it. Because it's definitely a revenue problem, guys. <laughs> and uh um uh, yeah, I, I think um, I learned once I had, I had a good buddy of mine um, who's a great financial advisor and he's not, you know, I'm sure he's, he can read the market very well and he can do all that stuff and in predictive analytics, but it was, he changed the psychology around saving for me. Mm. And um, as soon as that all kind of pieced itself together, the pressure went away and I wish mm. I would have, I wish I would have learned how to take that pressure off myself much earlier. Mm. I love that. I really love that. That's really good. Uh, how can folks get a hold of you? Yeah, great question. So you can uh, check out my company uh, at harmonysolutions.io, um, which is uh, different than a dot com. So it can be a little bit confusing, um, but it was a lot cheaper. And uh, so you can find me there. You can email me. And it's at, so tech. At, <laughs> at pat.mcallister at harmonysolutions.io and uh the best people that would you know people that would want to spend time with me are candidates uh particularly in the technology sector that may want to explore the market um you know or if you're a hiring manager in a company and you've had three open positions for three to six months and it's time to find some agency support um i think i could be an excellent resource for them and i'll put all the contact info in the description etc but Pat, thanks for coming on, man. This was fun. Um, Dude, this this is, was a blast. Thanks for the recommendation on the um, the tech setup. Oh, yeah. No. I what? couldn't come on here with a grainy uh, <laughs> <laughs> webcam. Grainy mic and, and, ter- and, and terrible right. uh, headphones. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm glad. Oh, this was a lot of fun. Thank you for the invite. Well, like I said, this is just a great way to start your morning. We start recording at 730. It's almost 830. We're just going to go conquer the day after this. Hey, but time to go to work, baby. Um, as always, everybody, you know how to get a hold of me. Constructive criticism only. Don't just complain. Offer a solution. Um, and outside of that, we'll talk to you guys soon.